0: Welcome to another edition of Being an Engineer, the podcast. Our guest today is Dan Kasperzik, who is CEO of Poba Medical and Simple Surgical. Dan, thank you so much for being on the show today.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: Okay. Um, so, Dan, by way of, of a brief introduction, is a serial entrepreneur. Let's see, you have a degree in bioengineering, is that right? Correct. Great. And, uh, uh, I, I read on LinkedIn that you did a postgraduate project that was sponsored by Dr. Pizzicone.
1: I sure did. Yeah. I was, uh, right, right after I got my bachelor's degree, I was sort of in between, you know, trying to find a job, which was pretty difficult in the Phoenix area in 1985 and wasn't sure that I wanted to go on to graduate school. So, um. Yeah, so Dr. Pizzicone had set me up with a couple of little projects to just sort of keep me busy. He uh he never paid me for those projects, which I think <laughs> is very typical. But uh but I I uh, I never got a chance to collect either. So I uh I, I think what he uh what he provided me as far as career advice was uh was well worth the free uh the free work that I put in on his projects.
0: Yeah, the universe is, is in balance, I think, for sure. Um yeah. he was my uh he was my thesis committee chair when when I was uh at ASU for the bioengineering program. So small world, it seems like that guy knows everyone in Arizona that is related somehow to medical devices.
1: Yeah, he does. And I, I think uh gosh, back when I graduated there just wasn't uh there wasn't a lot of opportunities in the state. I mean it was and it's still, I think in my opinion, um fairly underserved as far as opportunities in the bioengineering space, but um, we're, we're slowly changing that, I think.
0: Yeah, well, Well, you've been a big part of that. Um, uh, you are actively running two companies, Poba Medical and Simple Surgical, and sit on the board of a third, Machine Solutions. Um, some of the, the, the specialties you have are... Uh, capital manufacturing equipment, medical devices, particularly catheter, stents, and endovascular products. And as far as business specialties go, uh, well, creating startup medical device companies for sure, raising capital, recruiting, sales and marketing, mergers and acquisitions. It's a pretty lengthy list of, list of experiences and capabilities that you've put together. Does that about sum it up?
1: Um, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think, uh, uh, you know, I think we, you know, our experiences sort of morph as we as we take on more and more uh, pieces of of running a business. So, um, you know, I never I never imagined studying bioengineering that um, mergers and acquisitions or private equity or venture capital or angel funding or any of the, the pieces that are key to raising capital to start a business would be would be within my uh w- within my uh my my strength but um sometimes our strengths are sort of formed for us as we as we realize the need to uh to sort of branch out in different areas as as you as as you start a business as you know I think it's you know it's critical to be fairly um diverse in skill set and um yeah for me I just uh I, I I had one job in in marketing and sales with a company called Bebron Medical Um, I spent about two years and, um, didn't really have a lot of work for me. So I just got to kind of, kind of shadow, you know, people that were involved in sales and marketing and and got a kind of unique perspective on, you know, how a a massive German run medical device company, um, treats and handles and runs sales and marketing. So, um, that was more just being a sponge and, um, being in the right place at the right time. But, um, yeah, I think I think obviously, as you know, and you know your 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 skills that are are hard skills that you learn in engineering school um, prepare us for uh, for for that job out of college. But most of what we have to learn in starting a business is is just um, just really trial and error.
0: Yeah, speaking of uh, the engineering skills that we learn in college, how did you decide that that you wanted to become an engineer? Was that something that you had always known, or was it? something you decided in college or what, what did that look like? Yeah, no, I was, uh,
1: um, I, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And, um, you know, I, I was always pretty good at um, math and science and uh, had an interest in, in, in math and science, but didn't really have a clear understanding of, of engineering as, as it relates to a, to a career path. So um, I started, um my first year in college, I went to the University of wisconsin um, and I had a introduction to engineering class um, as a freshman and um, one of the one of the one of the weeks was a uh, um, a session on the the merging of of medicine and engineering and this emerging field called bioengineering or biomedical engineering so um that was the first i'd even heard of it and did some uh did some research at the library and found uh found a little college in the desert that was uh promoting a bioengineering program and um, their brochures were really cool. Palm trees and blue skies <laughs> and scantily clad co eds and <laughs>
0: that doesn't I, hurt, I was, right?
1: I was yeah, I was that was that was pretty much it. I had an introduction to engineering class at University of Wisconsin and um, knew I didn't wanna you know, I I knew I wanted something else. You know, I, I was I wasn't sure what discipline I was interested in. I thought initially it was civil engineering, structural engineering. Um, but I was smitten once I once I heard about the merging of of medicine and engineering and science, it, it was, you know, it was pretty much instantaneous. I I, I I wanted to follow that path and find out what it was more about. Um, learn as much as I could and then um there was a handful of schools in, in the Midwest that offered a four year program. Um but I think as an 19 year nineteen-year-old, I was just, I was ready to try something different, and um, ASU um, seemed like a great landing spot.
0: And the coeds didn't hurt.
1: The coeds and the palm trees, the green grass, <laughs> the seventy-degree days in December—I mean, all that, all that stuff helped.
0: Now that—correct uh, me if I'm wrong—that was back in, I think, the the late '80s. Uh, at that Actually, time, was was bioengineering? I mean, did friends of yours? hear you talk about bio-engine- bioengineering and, and be like, what is that? I I don't even know. It's, yeah, this, yeah. it's such a new field.
1: Yeah, no, I was 80, um, 81. So um, I started in 81 and yeah, it was, you know, people didn't really understand whether it was biology or how engineering and biology really fit together. So I, I think it was, it was part of the chemical engineering program um, at ASU at the time. And um, I knew I wasn't interested in chemical engineering. Um, I wasn't smart enough. Um, but the bioengineering side was, was, was a clear path that I, I found interested in, th- you know, things like biomaterials and biomechanics. And I mean, it really resonated for me. Um, and, you know, and then once you, once you get your, once you get your degree and walk into Dr. pizziconi's office and say, well, now what, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, now what is, you know, certainly, um, you know, find, finding a job in the state of Arizona at the time was, it was impossible. There was, there there were nothing. I mean, there was, you know, it was either California, uh, a few splattered through Colorado. Um, and I ended up in Ohio. So a uh, former, um, former Pitsa County um, student that was working for a startup in Ohio. And um, um, that, that was how I, that was how I ended up in the industry side.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, when, I, when I was a senior in high school, my, uh, we had family din- dinner every night. And one night my dad said, so what are you going to do next year when you go to college? What, what are you interested in? And back then, you know, it's embarrassing now to, to talk about, but I wasn't thinking about it really at all. He said, you know, you should maybe consider engineering. I think you do well there. And I said, okay. And that was pretty much all the consideration I gave to it. Uh, turns out my dad knows me pretty well because it it was a great fit for me but um yeah it's it 's interesting how life kind of uh takes us here and there uh, so you you graduated and, and went off and started working in industry um you worked at a few different places before uh, eventually starting uh machine solutions is that right
1: yeah so i um yeah i was I was just on a path to knowledge. I mean, I, you know, every, every two years um, it felt to me like I had learned enough at that stop um, to pursue something else. So maybe some of it was boredom um, with, with the, with the project. Uh, But yeah, so I I went from Ohio to a startup company in California called advanced cardiovascular systems, which was um, really the first company in the world that was doing um, balloon angioplasty based technologies and catheter technologies. So, um, that was, that was kind of my, you know, that was sort of the, the fire hose where you come in and, um, it's just a bunch of 20 somethings all working on this new therapy called balloon angioplasty. And, um, everybody was, you know, everybody was part of a team that was really pulling in the same direction. And that was the first time I got a, a real true taste of a startup. Um, and that was also early in my career. So, um, I think I think that experience is what really uh, helped me along the path to when I, you know, when I when I when I got an opportunity to move back to Arizona um, in 1997, I, I got a job with W. O. Gordon Associates, um, and they hired me to come in and work on a, a novel balloon platform that was utilizing Gore-Tex materials um, and was u- using um, certain materials that were key to delivering stents and other therapies from the, from the blend itself. So, um, that's what, that's what got me back to Arizona. But every, every two to three years was, you know, I was, I was done after two to three years. And then, um, about two years at Gore, um, things just, you know, the project was moving along, but, um, you know, I just got together with a couple, uh, uh, an equipment design engineer and an operations guy at Gore. And we, uh, We just went out um, for happy hour and I laid out a plan that said we can we can start a company that provides automation technologies to the industry because I saw a need. Um, The industry was very manual back then. You know, everything was built by the human hand and the variability that you get from the human hand was imparted in every device that was built. So um, at the time, I wasn't an equipment engineer. I was running a balloon project, but um, I was working with some really, really smart equipment engineers at Gore and. Um you know we just we just put our head together and um Tom and I decided that we were gonna we're gonna try to see if we could make this work and uh, we started with automating ways to provide fixtures and testing capabilities to customers that were looking to quantify performance of devices before going into animal studies um so that's that was the you know that was the start of the company we um we started it with a thousand dollars and over 12 years we built it to 25 million in revenue and we caught a lot of uh, a lot of interest from private equity companies and other companies that were looking to um you know make make that kind of investment in 2010 2011 so um it wasn't uh it wasn't straight line because it never is so obviously 2020 will will teach us that forever um <laughs> but even years like 2001 and 2008 were um, super challenging when you're running a business because, um, you go from, you know, you go from, you know, a million and a half in orders in September. And then all of a sudden, October, you've got 200,000 in orders. Wow. And
0: try hitting payroll then. Yeah.
1: You got to hit payroll. You got to, yeah, it's, 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 it's definitely challenging. So I, um, you know, I, I think I was, I was really cut out, you know, for a startup because I, you know, those, those times when revenue hit 200,000 were just incredibly motivating and stimulating. I mean, it was, there was, there was fear, but for me, the fear just really drove um, the creative concept of coming up with solutions and ways to, um, the ways to survive and, and ultimately thrive. You know, I think that's, that's the ultimate goal. And um, at the end of the day, it's, you know, you have to make business decisions. It's your business. It's, it's your baby. It's, you know, but at the end of at at that time, you've got 70 or 80 or a hundred employees. And, um, there's a lot of people that are pulling in the same direction as you are. So you really want to make decisions as carefully as you can, as it relates to, um, growing the businesses and in, in tough times. And when, 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 when things are just one direction and just orders are just continuing to come in, it's, I mean, that's just easy. And, um, you know, I I I always expected that there would be, there would be bumps in the road and there'd be potholes and, um, sure enough, you know there were, there were many potholes, many bumps in the road. But, uh,
0: so I think you said twelve years and twenty five million. Uh, that's a that's a huge accomplishment. I I I, I want to say that, oh, less than two percent of businesses in the U.S. ever make it to to ten million, and and you are up at twenty five billion. What how did you do that i mean it's that's a a huge question but are there a few things you can share that maybe were were uh particularly impactful in in growing your business
1: um yeah i think you know a couple things that um were really impactful um we re- we really just focused on one thing and and in the early days um we had invented the um the cleanest technique and process for crimping a stent onto a balloon catheter. And at the time, um, 2000, 2001, um, the entire industry was moving to balloon deployable um, stainless steel stents. So um, our technology just happened to be uh, the, the cleanest way to uniformly and reliably crimp a stent onto a balloon catheter um, and do it in a way that was securely attached without providing or without imparting any damage to the underlying balloon structure. Um, and, and that's what we, that's what we just focused on. And, and, um, within the first 18 months, we had converted the four biggest companies in the industry. So Medtronic, Boston Scientific, um, a company called Guidant, which is now Abbott and Johnson and Johnson. So, um, we had all four. We had all four of those companies that were now coming to us to purchase our technology. So um, it just gave me confidence that you know even if you got one of those four, um, you have confidence in in, in pursuing a, a technology in your business that is is going to be um, fairly sustainable over the long run. And as we as as we as we focused on 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 our, our crimping technology. Um, the stents changed from stainless steel to cobalt chromium, and then they changed f- from stainless steel, bare metal to stainless steel drug eluting. So now the drugs were integrated into the stents. Um, and our technology was, we, we just kept our technology out front of where the market was going. And as soon as the te- as soon as the stents moved to drug eluting or fully polymer based, we had a, we had a platform that was, was, was ready for sale, um, so I, I, I think I think kind of focusing on you know, not letting yourself get too broadly um, focused on thinking that you're just a process engineering company. We were just we we were a product company, and, and that product led to a folding product, and that led to a swaging product. But I mean, those those three or four products are what what allowed us to get to a, a revenue number as significant as 25 million. And you know, today the company's pushing 100 million. So um, the you know the the market opportunity that we identified in 2000 um, was was a clear path, but I think uh, having that having that laser focus on on that that sort of key piece to your business, and then and then letting your business you know letting your business take you to the next levels if you're if you're focusing on those customers, and um, we've never we've never got there without the four biggest global medical device companies in our back pocket.
0: Yeah. How did, how did, I mean, as someone who has called on large, uh, global medical device companies and, uh, been met with a fair deal of resistance, how did, how did you, uh, work your way in there? Did you know people there already or was it just cold calling and cold contacting?
1: No, it was, it was, I, I, I knew people in the companies. I knew they were struggling with crimping, um, because of some of the work I had done in the past. So I, I knew it was a, I knew it was an area that was um, fraught with challenges. And I also knew that some of the bigger companies were investing 10 to $15 million a year on their own internal equipment teams to develop a better solution. And they, they kept failing. They kept stumbling. They kept... I mean, they, they never really focused on the problem at hand. And they just tried to put Band-Aids on it because their, their main role was making sure that production never stopped or never hiccuped. So they never really got to step back and say take a holistic approach to solving a problem. Um, And we never had to worry about production because we were an equipment company providing equipment solutions to the industry. So um, it was, it was some, some really good contacts, but then it was, I mean, it was cold calling, it was trade shows, it was um, uh, demos, you know, traveling out to their sites with, you know, suitcases full of our equipment and, you know, marching into their executive conference rooms and, you know, sitting down with their executives, and you know, at that point we had we we had built enough confidence that our solution was a game changer, that we could feel good about going into an executive conference room with um, senior executives from any one of those companies and and pitching our solution because at that point um, at the high level they they knew what they were spending and wasting on internal equipment groups to try to solve a problem that we had already solved. Um, and then it then it became fun because then at that point price was never it was never a discussion point with the you know with the procurement groups or the engineering groups they never ever got real concerned about price it was just lead time and 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 how many of these can I get implemented in my facility in Ireland or my facility in in Minnesota wherever wherever they happen to be so um, yeah it was I mean it was I don't want to make it sound easy because it's never easy. But um, having some having some great contacts and then being able to work our way into the you know the senior level executives and get meetings in front of them with a technology that um, they instantly saw as a viable path to their you know their future products.
0: Why do you think that these uh, these huge companies with ostensibly massive budgets? Um, weren't able to crack this problem that, that you and your team who started with $1,000 was, was able to solve.
1: I, I don't think they ever, they didn't have time in their day to step back and really look at the problem because they were, you know, a, a, on, on one hand, they were, they were chartered with making sure that production never, never slipped. So in that sense, you've got to, you got to live with what you have from a process standpoint. So you've got to live with that process and That just means making sure it never stops. So spare parts, band-aids, you know, and then when they'd have a free hour or two hours to think about a more global holistic solution, um, I don't want to say they were lazy, but they weren't empowered as an employee of a multinational company, process engineer or equipment engineer or bioengineer or mechanical engineer. They weren't really empowered or challenged to have to come up with a solution. And then that's just, that's just human nature. Some people, you know, some people would would you know they'll they'll take their two hours and um, you know use it for their own personal time versus someone else that's if that's their if that's their sole focus in their job um, they don't they don't have the opportunity to fail they they have to come up with a solution and and on the on the on the on the customer side they were just they were just chartered with not not slipping on the production floor and, and that meant continual band aids on processes that were unreliable. Um, expensive um, horrible quality, I mean, but I think when we came on the scene, it now gave them the confidence that there was an off the shelf solution and they could just buy these off the off the shelf solutions for whatever I happened to set the price tag at and 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 then and then that they felt good about that because now they had they had they had addressed. Ten different things on their current process that were not being addressed with current technology. So um, there's there's also there's also an element of luck. I mean, I think we got our timing was incredibly lucky and fortunate, and um, we 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 hit these companies at a time when every single solution. I, I could I could spend hours describing some of these crazy crazy ways to crimp a bare metal stent onto a balloon that involved elaborate elaborate engineering. Technologies and I mean ours was ours was a simple twelve segment head that pivoted to create diameter reduction in a, in a re- reliable repeatable way. So um, yeah, it was there. There's was, there's 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 a luck element to everything. I mean there really is.
0: I, I love that uh, you called that simple. Anyone who's not an engineer and maybe even a lot of engineers who hear that uh, a simple 12 element diameter reduction would like their head would explode. You know, what does that even mean? But for you, that was a simple a simple solution. Did did you know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? I mean, you you worked at several different companies and then you started machine solutions, which went on to become a really you know great business. Was was that always part of the plan? No.
1: No, I'd, I'd be lying if I said it was. I mean, it. I I, mean, I, I always.
0: <laughs> so what happened? Did you wake up one morning and you're like, "Huh, I think that I want to start a new company." Kind
1: of, yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I had, uh, I had an opportunity to work with a cardiologist when I was um, working in in Pennsylvania. A young cardiologist um, out of the UC Davis, and he had an idea for closing up a vascular access site. And I happened to be the engineer that was uh, chartered with coming up with the solution for closing up the vascular access site in a way that didn't involve traditional sandbags and um, 45 minutes worth of pressure from the nurse on the groin to get everything to clot and, and stop. So his idea was to come up with a simple um, a balloon-based backstop that allowed us to use um, active clotting ingredients to instantly Uh, seal off the access site independent of introducer size. So um, I just, you know, had enough balloon and catheter experience at the time that um, came up with some prototypes, um, worked with him throughout the process, you know, all the animal studies, all the failures, all the successes. Um, And then the company um, decided that it didn't fit the direction of where the product line was heading. Um, And all his agreements assigned the Intellectual property rights back to him as the inventor. So um, everything I worked on was now owned by him. Um, I had no idea he wanted me to write an executive summary. Um, That was foreign to me. I mean, I, all right, I'll figure out what an executive summary is. So I wrote a two page executive summary um, and started, you know, we started talking to investors and um, he was quickly able to raise enough money. uh, And the company was called Vascular Solutions. Um, which which sold for a billion dollars to uh, Teleflex a couple years ago, but um, so yeah, it was that was my first taste, and I I, I don't want to say I saw how easy it was because it wasn't because I wasn't involved in the day to day stuff. So yeah, so when when I was at Gore and things started to slow down, and I got my two year itch, um, you know, machine solutions um, seemed like was really right in my wheelhouse as it relates to something that I could really pour my pour my energies and my efforts into. And um, yeah, I think, you know, it was nothing I ever had planned. I had never gone and studied entrepreneurship. I didn't even know what entrepreneurship was. Um, I just had an idea with another engineer and thought we could start a company that could be, you know, incredibly powerful to the industry. And, and maybe we could make a little bit of money along the way. And um, sure enough, we grew to 100 employees and um, 20 plus million in revenue and and very, very profitable because our you know, our, our prices were never challenged, um, by industry. So, you know, we, we were able to continually reinvest, reinvest, reinvest. And then once we reinvested to the point where now our, you know, our bottom line earnings were in the four plus million range, um, we instantly became, you know, an attractive piece to any private equity group that was looking to go out and buy EBITDA. Um, and yeah, and the timing felt great because, you know, I, I, my longest tenure before machine solutions was about three years. So I had been in machine solutions for 12 years and it felt like three because when it's your own company, it's just, you know, just, just time just flies. So, um, but at that point I was, you know, I, I had, I had already had the idea for simple surgical. Um, I thought there was a great way to deliver um, microwave energy through a catheter to impact all kinds of different ablative therapies. And um, so I had started working on that. And when we, you know, when 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 we had gotten to the point where um, we had viable offers for the sale of the company, it was it was a no brainer for me because I was, you know, I I don't want to say I was spent, but I was just ready for something else.
0: So you've done a ton in your career, uh, started three companies, and uh, worked at several other companies before that. Um, and you you have uh, what like a thirty year career at this point. You've been doing this. Um, do you ever do you ever get to the point where, where you're like, man, I've, I've been doing this for a long time now and I've done pretty well. I think I'm ready to just relax and chill for a while. Or every day do you wake up and you're like, I I, I still love what I'm doing. And not only that, but what's the next thing I'm going to do after yeah, that's this? More,
1: that's probably more, more aligned because I, um, I don't have a lot of interests outside of work or medical devices. It's, um, yeah, I mean, I enjoy playing golf. I, you know enjoy hiking and climbing in the mountains and riding my mountain bike, but you know, I I can ride my mountain bike to work. Um, I can go out after work and play golf. I, um, it's, it's never, it never feels to me to be, and I don't know, you know, maybe someday I'll wake up and it'll, it'll feel like a, it'll feel like a chore And, and maybe that's the signal that it's time to do something else. But it, it's just the, just the adrenaline you get every morning. Um, you know, working with 20-somethings that are fresh out of college—that you know—let you re- let you realize that you were that 20-something at one point in your career, and, and you know, seeing the things that you can teach them and what they can bring to the job every day. Um, <laughs> now with POBA and Simple Surgical, there's 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 more work than what I can handle in a in a given day, and it's just building out the teams to continue to create value. And if that value takes us somewhere, and we can solve unmet clinical needs with Simple Surgical or we can work with balloon customers at POBA that are just doing crazy, crazy things throughout the body. It just, I mean, it's, uh, it's super, super rewarding and super, super motivating.
0: Wow! So for customers that, that are interested in, uh, in POBA or Simple, um, I guess, A, who, who are the customers that, that you want to contact you and how do they get a hold of you if they have questions?
1: LinkedIn is another way, another way to do it. But um, no, I think I think right now, as we uh, as we continue to expand our customer base, I think we're, um, you know, we're feeling really, really good about our core business and our, our core engineering capability. Um, and we just want we want to continue to grow as, you know, as the as the opportunities present. But um, yeah, if 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 someone's looking for balloons, certainly uh, PubMed Medical is the place to be.
0: And and simple surgical, what who should contact you for simple surgical?
1: Also, they can go through the website, but um, really really focused on uh, utilizing microwave ablation um, as a therapeutic means to specifically treat esophageal cancer.
0: Terrific, terrific. Well, Dan, I, I've kept you as long as I promised I would, and probably a few minutes longer. Um, no problem. Thank you so much for spending some time with me and talking. I love hearing your story. It's, uh, it's super motivational to someone like me, who's, um, I guess I can consider myself still relatively young, I'm 40, and, and trying to build a company and just hearing about some of your successes. Um, it's, it's been amazing. So thank you again for, for sharing that with me.
1: Yeah, no, my pleasure.
0: All right. All right. Dan Kasperzik, check him out at, uh, is it uh, PobaMedical.com? And... PobaMedical.com. Okay, great. Thanks a lot, Dan. Yep. I'm Aaron Moncur, founder of Pipeline Design and Engineering. If you liked what you heard today, please leave us a positive review. It really helps other people find the show. To learn how your engineering team can leverage our team's expertise in developing turnkey custom test fixtures, automated equipment, and product design, visit us at testfixturedesign.com. Thanks for listening.